biblical or spiritual equation that the man or woman of God comes off with is this. They say one thing plus pursuing equals eating God's word. It's just that simple. They understand, I will not be able to live the way God wants me to live. I will not be able to pursue him if I ignore the word of God in my life. Again, incredible how simplistic this truth is, yet how many get lured away in distraction. And welcome back to Live in the Light. Here at Live in the Light, we believe that the radical transformation comes about through the revelation of God's truth. Verse by verse, as God's word speaks to us, our lives are changed to the glory of God. That's our prayer for you. That's our prayer for all of us today as we walk a little bit further in our series entitled One Thing, passionately pursuing God by removing all of those distractions in life. That's really what this series is all about. Now with me in studio is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. And Robbie, I love the title of today's message, One Thing on My Menu. Get you hungry, doesn't it? It does. One Thing on My Menu. What would be the one thing on our menu? I wonder, spiritually speaking, the answer should be pretty clear. And that's the point of today's message. If there's one thing on our menu spiritually, we're supposed to feed on the Word of God. And I love messages like this, Craig, because you and I talk about God's Word so much, and we teach God's Word, and we're constantly trying to see people discipled in God's Word. But you and I both know that there's never a point when we're under passages like this. It doesn't renew us and excite us as to the reality of how powerful and how fresh and how amazingly abundant God's Word is. And that's the whole point. God's Word never gets stale. So the truth today from God's Word is about God's Word that exhorts us to more of God's Word. So if we're gonna feed on anything, put down the food, physical food right now for a bit. We've done enough of that. Let's pick up the spiritual food and find out that God's Word is breathed out by God and is profitable, is useful for teaching, for correction, for training and righteousness. It is it's a sweet word, and this is the right time to hear it today. All right. Well, today, if you find yourself at the end of this message saying you'd like to get a copy of this message, well, please visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. And hey, while you're there, you can get a copy of the entire series if you'd like. And one more thing, while you're there, please drop us a note and let us know how God has been using these messages to change and transform your life. You can also phone us up at 1-844-225-4448. All right, well, today's message, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and here again is Pastor Robbie. If you truly believe the one thing affects your everything, which it does, and that's what the Word of God is uh, explaining to us and detailing for us, then the one thing, as it affects everything, it determines our ordering. Uh, it determines how we order our lives. It determines what we place as our highest priority. And we have been discovering, learning that when it all boils down, the one thing really is the passionate pursuit of our awesome God. It is seeking to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is pursuing Him. It is seeking to get rid of complexity because we make our lives way too complicated. It's in with simplicity. 
Uh, it is out with stress. It is in with faith. It is out with self. It is in with Christ. It is out with sin. And it is in with godliness. And how all of this connects together as we pursue the one thing together. And I want to remind us that in regards to the one thing, uh, God has not been silent. God has given us direction uh, to pursue the one thing, to love him with all the hearts, with one tangible item. Let me think about it. God has given his church one tangible item that points us to the one thing. It's called, it's called the word, yeah. It's called the Bible, the word of God, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ in this book. This is the one tangible thing he has given to his church. We are then so wise to understand the importance of God's word and whom the word ultimately points to, the Messiah Jesus Christ. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I want to show us it again because it's such a reminder of how the Bible describes itself and how this is going to be increasing our appetites for what is coming today in another foundational message. We looked at uh, some explanations the Bible is like, the Bible is like, so on and so forth. And again, just let this just let this encourage us with the truth of what the Bible is for us, what the word of God is. The Bible is like a seed that saves us. It's like water that washes us. It's like a fire that cleanses us. The Bible is like a hammer that shatters us, like a sword that cuts deeply into us. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, so important. The Bible is like medicine to keep us from the sickness of sin. I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, O God. The Bible is like a mirror to reflect ourselves to us. It's like a lamp to our feet. It is our guide. The Bible is like a counselor that comforts us. It's where we go for hope when the world has none. The Bible is like a forecaster that never fails us. And these last two is what I really want to focus on. It sets up our menu for today. The Bible is like milk that nourishes us spiritually. And the Bible is like meat or solid food. Such a great text from Hebrews 5 that satisfies us. Again, the last two, the Bible is like milk that nourishes us. And the Bible is like meat that satisfies us. And so here's the difference maker for so many. Here's the difference maker of the man or woman truly seeking to follow God. Here's the difference maker of the man or woman filled with wisdom. They put these truths together. They, they, they see, they read, they understand, they believe the Bible is indeed like these things. And what they do is they do some biblical or spiritual math. And it should be so simple, yet it seems like maybe so few truly get it. And then because how do you know if you really get it? You don't just acknowledge it intellectually. You begin to live it passionately. And so the biblical or spiritual equation that the man or woman of God comes up with is this. They say one thing plus pursuing equals eating God's word. It's just that simple. They understand I will not be able to live the way God wants me to live. I will not be able to pursue him if I ignore the word of God in my life. Again, incredible how simplistic this truth is, yet how many get lured away in distraction. This room, of course, is no exception. Here it is. Bottom line for today. You cannot live for the Lord apart from his word. You cannot truly live for the Lord apart from his word. It's impossible. You cannot live, will not live the one thing apart from the holy word of God. Again, it is impossible. People try, people crash. People try to live ultimately apart from God at all in his word. They will die. 
they will die forever. But those who love the Lord also love his word. Therefore, the simple yet never tiring, never boring truth that never ever gets stale is this. There must be one thing on my menu. Sermon title today, one thing on my menu. Let me ask you, what's on your menu? What's on your menu for your life? Our prayer today, God will encourage us again with fundamental foundational truth that will give us an appetite to say, if there's one thing on my menu, it's going to be this. Lord, help us. Father, indeed, help us. Spirit of God, please fill us. Come and, and take over this, uh, this church filled with your saints, Lord. Please, oh God, I pray. Oh, we are so weak and frail, whether we know it or not, we are. Apart from you, we are nothing and, and, and can do nothing. You again, Lord, this week have uh, shown me again how uh, devastatingly um, unable and weak I am to do anything of any good apart from you. As much as that hurts, God, I thank you for that truth because it is so right. It brings such a clear perspective of the reality of the humility that I should have and we should have before an awesome God. And so, Lord, we again seek you. Lord, would you change our lives as your word is spoken, as we hear what your word says about itself. It's so encouraging. These are your very words combined with your spirit, oh God, produces massive glory and life change for you. So we beg you to do that yet again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Who agrees? All right, amen. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter three then. 2 Timothy chapter three, we're looking at verses 16 and 17. Such a foundational text to living the life of the one thing. And what we will find today is God here through this text, he is presenting to us his menu, so to speak, for our lives. And in not so many words, he says through this text, he says, here's my menu, I hope you're hungry. He's like, because I want to change your life. And he does it by his spirit through his word. By his spirit through his word. No exceptions. He says, I hope you're hungry. Second Timothy 3 verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Wow, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That or so that the end result might be the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All right, one thing on my menu, and God's word has a lot to say, and he's got a meal for us today. When it comes to the word of God in my life, when it comes to God's word in my life, let's start here. Number one, my most important meal is the one that God has prepared. My most important meal in my spiritual life or any life is the one God has prepared. Now, the metaphor for a meal is not precisely um, in this text, of course, but as we have seen, it's in others in the Bible. First Timothy 2, we just looked at that. Hebrews 5, verse 14. There's more, though, that speaks of this metaphor. How about Jeremiah 15, 16? I'll put this up on the screen for you so you guys can see this great verse. This is Jeremiah in the midst of difficult times, God's people rejecting God's truth. Jeremiah determined to receive from the Lord he himself under such persecution. He says in the midst of all this, he says, your words were found and I ate them. That's fantastic. Your words were found and I ate them. And notice the result of the sincere heart wanting to be fed by God. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Why? For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Jeremiah knew the meal that God has prepared. He was seeking to eat of that meal. How about in Matthew 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness 
He has not eaten for 40 days. Naturally, his hunger is immense. Satan knows this. Satan appeals to our weaknesses. He appeals to tempt us on those places that we are most vulnerable. He comes up to Jesus and he says, see these stones, you're very hungry. Turn them into bread that you may eat. He knows he could do it like that. And Jesus says, it is written. Don't ever forget the importance of those three words each time he is tempted. It is written. His meal is the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is Jesus saying in this statement? So profound, so important. He is saying the food of God, the word of God, the spiritual food of God is more important than physical food. In our day, I don't think we're so quick to understand that. We are very quick to feed our faces with physical food. I mean, we have enough of it. But what's amazing is someone could eat as much as they possibly want. They will still die. They will still eventually at one point die. Their physical body will cease to exist. Their heart will stop beating. That will rot. It will be eaten by worms. But the person who feeds on the spiritual food of God in the word of the Lord by embracing the truth of the cross, forgiveness of sins, only revealed and found and complete inerrancy and accuracy through God's message, seeing the gospel, believing in Christ, repenting at the cross, again, being forgiven of their sins and then being given eternal life with Jesus Christ. The person who eats that spiritual mood only found, only found in this word, they will never die, regardless of how much they eat physically. They will never, ever die. They will live forever. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. All this to say, God has prepared for us a meal. Listen, he wants us to eat it up. Back to our main text in 2 Timothy. It says this to start off in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. How much of scripture? Oh, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. The word breathed out is so important. The word breathed out is the Greek word theopneustos. The only time this occurs in the New Testament. For many years and in many translations, the word was translated inspired. So it would read, all scriptures have been, all scripture is inspired by God. But the problem with this is that the word inspired suggests an in-breathing or a God-breathing into, which doesn't fully convey what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here. The best translation then is all scripture is breathed, God breathed or breathed out by God. God has breathed out the very words of God into the scriptures. You see, God did not breathe into the scriptures or he did not breathe into the authors. Rather, he breathed out the scriptures. As Erwin Lutzer says, he says this, the Bible, metaphorically speaking, is the breath of God. So it's not like when Paul wrote down, all scriptures breathed by God, God came up and said, yeah, Paul, that's pretty good. Maybe just tweak this word here and there. I approve of this. That's not what he did. God is the one who is the full source of God's word. All scripture, he breathed out and he chose to allow the human personalities to remain within the word, yet every word accounted for and delivered, inspired, breathed out by the Lord himself. God is the full source of scripture. So when you hear someone talking about the inspiration of scripture, the correct meaning is the words of scripture are God's very words. All scripture has been breathed out by God. 
So what then are the implications of this truth? Because this is massive. This is a massive text when pursuing the one thing. There are four implications that I wrote down of the truth that all scripture has been breathed out by God. Implication number one, pertaining to God's word here, the word of God then is our authority. Because all scripture has been breathed out by God, the word of God then is our authority. It carries now our final word. We don't need to look beyond the Bible to find out what God has for us and for his church. So this means if the word of God is our authority, that you cannot then look at 2 Timothy 3.16 and then go off and dismiss portions of scripture. You can't believe 2 Timothy 3.16 and then go off and decide the parts that you like and the parts that you don't like. Because here's the reality. To disbelieve or disobey the word of God, here's what's really happening. It's not just choosing certain parts and you, I like it. It's, you're, you're actually disbelieving and disobeying God himself. Because God has breathed out his scriptures, if you reject portions of scripture, again, not so much the pages you're rejecting, you're actually rejecting God himself. Because it's his word. Therefore, it's him. You're not just disbelieving what's in the Bible, you are disbelieving what God has said. You don't believe God knows what he's talking about. That's what people are saying all the time, whether they know it or not. They're saying, God, I know better than you because I wouldn't have put down what you put down in your word. And when you think about it that way, it's, well, it's shocking. This is why in our church, the first pillar of our church, we have four. The first pillar this church is built upon, the foundation of Jesus Christ, is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. And that is exactly why, just a couple of verses later, look at 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. Think about what he's just saying here. All scripture being breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 4, two verses later, he says this, I charge you, okay? That's a strong term that Paul is giving to Timothy here. Timothy, I charge you. That's just the beginning. I charge you in the presence of God. Wow, that's massive. But again, just the beginning. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. I mean, there is no higher authority that he can appeal to here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And he's not done. Who is to judge the living and the dead, the one who rules over all the earth, the one who will ultimately decide where people end up for the rest of eternity the one who rules, again, the universe. He says who, who will who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, the one who appeared, the one who will set up his kingdom forever. Timothy says, I charge you, again, the most serious charge you can ever give. Whatever follows us massive, whatever follows us such bearing upon the life of Timothy, not to mention us and forever in the church. What is it? He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's judged living and the dead and by his appearing and in his kingdom. Timothy, listen up, he says, Preach the word. He says, preach the word. It's, it's just not complicated. Because the word of God has been breathed out by God and it is our authority, our authority. The most basic thing that the church is to do then is to preach the word. Listen, he says, be ready in season. Doesn't matter if it's popular or not or if it's out of season. Uh, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Timothy, preach the word. Implication number one, that all scriptures breathed out by God. The word of God is our authority. Still under point one, the implication number two is this. The word of God is inerrant. 
The word of God is inerrant. What does that mean? Wayne Grudem defines inerrancy as this. The inerrancy of scripture means that scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Inerrancy of scripture means that scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Here's the biblical logic for inerrancy. Uh, Number one, um, the Bible is God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible is God's word. Uh, Number two, uh, logic number two, God does not err. Titus 1.2 and so many other places. So therefore, if the Bible is God's word and God does not err, then the Bible, therefore, does not err. Make sense? That's biblical logic. If the Bible is God's word and God is, it's impossible for God to make mistakes. He cannot err. Then therefore, the Bible also does not err. Now, no doubt this topic's huge. We're talking about the inerrancy of scripture, inspiration of scripture. This is a huge topic. That's why a couple of years ago, we spent a whole month on these very doctrines. And we went through issues of uh, where did the Bible come from? How do we get to the 66 books we have today? Uh, how can I know I can trust the Bible? We spent two weeks on that. How do I know the Bible is reliable? If you have not done any kind of in-depth study, um, I commend this resource to you. It's called, this series we did called The Truth, The Whole Truth, and Nothing But The Truth. You can find it in our bookstore today. If you have not done that, I would get that. Be encouraged. You'll be fired up as you understand just how much we have to know that this is the word of God. Do it. Take advantage of that. Be a student of God's word. Get your questions answered and then be encouraged that you will understand that the word of God is indeed inerrant. It's called the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So implications that all scriptures breathe out by God. The word of God is our authority. The word of God is inerrant. Implication number three, the word of God is necessary. This is called the doctrine of the necessity of scripture. Let's define it. The necessity of scripture is God's revelation of Jesus Christ in scripture is necessary for both salvation and sanctification. The revelation of Jesus Christ in scripture is necessary for both salvation and sanctification. Let's talk about salvation first. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So the bottom line here is, for someone to be saved, they must either read the gospel message of Jesus Christ or hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But either way, there is no accurate and errant message of Christ without the Bible. Therefore, the Bible, the word of God, becomes necessary for salvation. The Bible is necessary, therefore, for someone to truly be saved because it it holds, it contains the accurate, inerrant message, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But furthermore, the Bible is also necessary for sanctification. What's sanctification again? I can't remember. Oh, yes, I can. Sanctification is growing more like Jesus Christ. It's becoming holy. It's being set apart. The Bible is necessary that we might grow. We put that slide up to begin. The Bible is like slide. And you're looking at that, and you're like, wow, it watches us. It's like a hammer. It, it cuts into us. It, it changes us. It's just like, I mean, it's so obvious. If you read that with any kind of perceptive ability, you're like, man, the Bible's important. Because the Bible is what God uses to grow me. The Bible combined with the Spirit of God is what God uses to change me. Right? No word equals no growth. That's just one of the bottom lines. No word in your life, no growth in your life. 
Because what is growth? It's ultimately becoming like Christ. What does it mean to become like Christ? Ultimately, it's the one thing. It's loving God more. How do you love God more? You know him more. How do you know him more? It's so basic. This is why the word of God is given. Not so we can be pharisaical, intellectual, uh, pride-filled Bible heads. It's so that we can be humble servants who love the Lord more than anything else. And the only way we do that, though, is through the word, through the strength of the Spirit of God. And that is why the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. The Bible that is falling apart usually, not always, but usually belongs to someone who isn't falling apart. Why? Because the word of God is necessary. The word of God is our authority. The word of God is an errand. The word of God is necessary. The fourth implication of all scriptures breathed out by God is the word of God is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient. Can somebody say amen? All right, sweet, sweet. I just need to hear that. Here's the definition of the sufficiency of scripture. The scriptures are sufficient for shaping the way we think. Stay with me here. In all matters of doctrine and impacting the way we live in all matters of sanctification. So the Bible is sufficient for all the growth we need and to understand areas of doctrine, of faith, and of practice. And our very text today just proves just that. This is what the passage is explaining, that the word of God, it is breathed out by God. Therefore, it is our authority. It is an errant. It is necessary. It is sufficient, and it is clear. And so the purpose of point number one, then, is to get our appetite increasing for the meal that God has prepared. Why? Because God has wrote a book. And so hopefully, man, you just sit down and you really start to understand that all scripture is breathed out by God. You start to say, man, why am I, re- why am I not reading God's word more? What's wrong with me? I mean, if you're like me, that's what you're thinking. You're like, it is my authority. It is necessary for my growth. It is absolutely essential. It is totally sufficient for my life. It is without error. What am I doing? What do I watch so much TV for? Why am I so lazy? What's the apathy all about? Why do I flip through the newspaper and care about my stocks more than I do about the word of God? Man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dumb sheep. And so God says, hey, hey, I got a meal for you. Eat up, man, eat up. Be changed with the one tangible thing that he has given to his church. You wanna live the one thing? Gotta sit down at God's table and eat the food that he's prepared. Hey, listen, remember this. Remember these simple truths. There's not one person ever throughout history used by God who has uh, not been someone who has loved the word of God. Just, there are no exceptions because you can't grow for all the reasons. This is just, this is just fact. We're, we're just building uh, a foundation of fact and a building of fact upon you will not grow apart from the word of God. So if you want to love the word or love the Lord, you must love the word because you love him. But let's be careful here. And this is, you you can love the word and not love the Lord. Pharisees, it is possible to be all about the information in here and not be transformed. But that doesn't take away from the fact though, if you want to truly love God, then you will also be someone who loves his word, right? Because in our day, uh, there's, there's people, because they've been so abused in the legalistic systems, there's such a fear. If I love the Bible too much, then I'll become a Pharisee myself and I'll, be a, I'll, I'll fall to bibliolatry. I'll, I, will, I will idolize the Bible and I'll miss its core message. Fair enough. That, 
that has happened. With the problem with reactions and with everything, it seems the pendulum is either swinging one way or swinging all the way to the other way. So what happens is you people, I'm so afraid of becoming a Pharisee that I'm now all the way over here and I'm so afraid of being passionate about God's word because I don't want to be the Pharisees that now I'm going to diminish God's word and put it aside because I'm afraid of, 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 of becoming that person I, I don't want to be. But you see, that doesn't work either. It always, it always seems like it's one or the other. It's, it's, it's centered in what is true. It's grace and truth. It is, it's okay to love the word if you are rooted in humility to love your God. In fact, it is essential to love the word if you really want to love your God. But not to be a Bible head, to be a humble, passionate follower of Jesus Christ who's pursuing the one thing. I think you guys get it, eh? Enough said, enough said. Hey, God has made a meal. He wants you to eat it up. All right, this flows into point number two then. Uh, this, uh, when it comes to God's word in my life, God wants to grow me. God wants to grow me. Isn't that encouraging? Verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word profitable here sets up the following words. So because scripture and all scripture is God breathed, well, of course then it's profitable. Some people want to make a big deal about the word profitable, but the they seem to miss the fact that all scripture is breathed out by God. So then it becomes necessary and sufficient and essential for anything we want to do. And of course it becomes profitable. That word profitable can mean beneficial, productive, sufficient. Um, one, a commentator said it provides what one needs to attain a certain goal. So God did not breathe out his word for us to ignore it. You're listening to Live in the Light with Robbie Simons. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. That's all for today, listeners. Join us again next time here on Live in the Light. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah.